Well, good morning, church. Let's stand together. Welcome to everybody online. Sing, I'm holding on. I am holding on to faith. Cause I know you'll make a way. And I don't always understand. And I don't always get to see. But I will believe it. I will believe it. You make mountains move. You make giants fall. You sing songs of grace to shake prison walls. I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt. But you were faithful then. You'll be faithful now. church this morning. Wake up.
really use some help right now i don't feel like it is well with my soul i've tried to find a way around the mess i prayed in faith that the night would end right here when i just can't Yeah. You are here. 
declare it like you believe it this morning. but I'm going to ask you right now to just be honest with yourself. And if you're going through something that like you just can't get off of you, it's just holding you down, it's weighing you down, and it's weighing your spirit down, and you want to be set free, I guarantee 
that if you're going through it, somebody else over here is going through it and somebody here is going through it. And I'm going to ask you right now not to worry about who's around you, not to worry about what it looks like for people. I'm going to ask you just to come down and pray in the front. And we have people that just want to lay a hand on you and pray with you, pray for deliverance. It might just be, God, I have a hard time saying that you're going to work in my favor. We know it's for his glory and for our good. And some people just, I'm there a lot of times. Even when I don't see it, you're working. It's hard for us to sometimes believe that. And I'm going to ask you, as we continue to sing and as we continue to worship, if you feel that heaviness this morning, to just come down and let somebody pray for you. People were set free the first service. I'm not even kidding. As they came down and... The Holy Spirit met them right where they were. So you don't have to have everything together. You don't have to have your life together. That's why we have Jesus. He wants you to come just as you are. So we're going to continue to sing that, and I pray that you'll just step out in faith and come for prayer this morning. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Chains and the burdens are going to be lifted this morning as you come to obedience. that 
we thank you. We worship you this morning for who you are, that you meet us right where we are, dirty and unclean and broken people, messed up people, every single one of us in this place. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your comfort. We thank you for your peace. And on this chaotic world right now, I pray peace on everybody's mind that passes all understanding in Jesus' name. Receive that peace this morning. Thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you. You're a good God that loves us. Help us not forget you're walking right with us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody in this church together said, Amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, let's give God another hand this morning. ask you this morning, how many people, if, um, if someone said you've got an 80% chance of, uh, of doing something to win a million dollars, how many people would do that? Anybody? Anybody would do that? 80% chance. No matter what it was, 80% chance, 8 out of 10 chances, you could win a million dollars. All of us would do that. When we think about Easter, which is coming up in two weeks, Statistics show that over 80% of people who are just simply invited to an Easter service will come. So 8 out of 10 people, if you personally invite them, statistics show that they will come with you to an Easter service. We have Easter coming up in two weeks. And most of us would do, you know, something to win a million dollars. But can I tell you that if you invite someone to come to church... And they come with you, and in that moment, they find something that takes them from death to life. They find Jesus, who, who just as he rose from the tomb, from death to life, that's worth more than any money that you could ever have. And so what we're asking for the next two weeks, there are cards out in the lobby, and we're asking that you take one or two of those. And that you don't take them and just lay them on your table uh, for your server, you know, just so you don't have to have any, you know, uh, uh, and most of you don't tip well anyway, so uh, don't, don't leave anything with the church on it, okay? 
But I'm asking that you personally invite someone. Personally go to someone, invest in this moment. Tell them that you'll, you'll come with them. Tell them if you're coming to the 930 or the 1115. Tell them that you'll meet them somewhere. Tell them that you'll sit with them. Tell them anything short of sin that you can do to get them here, get them here. And if you'll do your part, we're going to do our part as a church as we follow God and His leadership that when they come that they will hear a clear gospel message because there's nothing more important than someone who was dead coming to life. There's nothing more important than, than someone who is walking in darkness for the light to be shown in their life. So over the next two weeks, I'm going to ask you just to do that. And I believe that God will, will do something in this service. This will only be, this is really our second true Easter service since we've been here. Uh, the first Easter service, we had over 400 in one service. Uh, this week, this Easter, we're believing God over two services that, that there are going to be people here who need to hear a life-giving message. But the only way that they're going to get here is if you invite them. And so we're asking that you do that. And, and so what I want to do right now is I want to take just a moment just to pray. Because we're a church that believes that we can be spirit-filled and spirit-led. And what we mean by that is, is that, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and he will guide us and he will direct us. And so I'm going to pray that, that the Holy Spirit will, will lead you and put people in your path and open up your eyes to people who are already in your path, who are looking, who are searching who needs something in their life. And we're going to pray that over the next two weeks that the Holy Spirit will just lead us and that they will come to this place. And when they get here, that their hearts will be prepared for what God has for them. Can you pray with me? Father, I come before you right now. God, I'm so thankful, honored, and privileged to be able to stand on this stage in front of this great group of people. God, we know that you have placed us here in the middle of this community for a reason and for a purpose. And God, we know that uh, there, there's an event coming up that we're going to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. And God, I pray that as we go through the next two weeks, may we go through them being sensitive to your spirit. God, will we be willing to, to listen to you speak to us. And God, that we will go to those who we have influence over, those who we have earned the right to speak into their life, those people that, that we know that they need you in their life. God, they need something, something they've been searching for. God, lead us to those people and let us be an instrument in your hand to bring them to this place on April the 17th. God, so that not that we can be glorified, not so that we can have big numbers or, or something to, to, to post on Facebook, but God, so that you can rain down in their life and God, that you and only you can bring them from death to life. Father, we believe this. God, use us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Once again, I want to welcome you to Gateway Church. We are in week six of a seven-part series. We started this uh, six weeks ago, and we, we said that this was going to be a series that would lead us all the way up to Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be uh, celebrating Palm Sunday. Uh, also, we'll be having communion. Uh, so we would uh, love for you to be with us, and we'll close out this series. But over the last five weeks, we've been looking at some words that we could live by. Uh, Jesus made seven statements while he was on the cross. Seven things that, that we can learn from. Uh, being a Christian means that we're trying to, to be more Christ-like. We're trying to be like him. And there's no better way to imitate someone than to look at their life. Uh, there's no better way to, to look at how they react in certain situations. Uh, how they handle certain things that come up in their lives and things that they come against. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Paul says it best when he says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So in that verse, which has been our key verse for, the, for this series, we're attempting to study how he did it. Jesus dealt with a bad day. It's the day that we call Good Friday, but it was good for us, but it wasn't for him. It was the day of his crucifixion. And we've been looking at what Jesus said in those moments when he was hanging on the cross. The first thing that Jesus said on the cross, even though he was, he was there and he was surrounded by people, he was looking at people who were responsible <coughs> for putting him in the position that he was in. They were responsible for him being punished for something that he didn't do. But in that moment, he looked at all of those people and he let all the bitterness and all the anger that any of us would have had he let it all out. And the first words that he spoke was when he said, Father, forgive them. And from that, we learn our words to live by are that we need to forgive those who are trying to ruin our day. And then as Jesus was hanging there, he's hanging there in the middle of two guilty people. Two guilty people. They were paying for crimes that they had committed. He was paying for something that he didn't do. But he's hanging there, and one of them looks at him and says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus, in all of his pain, in all of his suffering, in that moment, he looks at the man and he says, assuredly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In that moment, Jesus assures the man that he will walk with him through this moment, even though Jesus is struggling as well. He recognizes those around him who were going through the same thing, and they cry out for help, and Jesus says, I'll help you. He said, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go with you. Today you're going to be with me. So Jesus is hanging there after that interaction and he recognizes people at the foot of the cross. Not the people that were 
there to torture him and to humiliate him, but his eyes meet eyes with people who he loved. And his eyes meet the eyes of his mother, Mary. And beside her was the disciple whom he loved, John. And he looks at them and he says, listen, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to leave this earth. But my concern right now is not for me. It's for the people that I'm close to. And in that moment, he looks at John and he looks at Mary and he says, you guys need to take care of each other. And by that, Jesus is telling us that in the middle of his bad day, he's concerned about those who are closest to him. And then when you would think things could get no worse, they did. You ever had that kind of day? You ever said, man, things just, I found myself saying it, man, things couldn't get any worse. And before I can get the worse out of my mouth, I'm thinking, man, I shouldn't say that. Jesus is hanging there. And when you would think things could get no worse, they do. About noon, darkness fell. And so now, not only is, is Jesus hanging on the cross, paying for sins that he didn't do, all of a sudden it becomes dark. Jesus is suffering, and all of a sudden it becomes worse. And in the middle of that darkness, Jesus cried out. And he cried out to his Father. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he's giving us permission to aim our hard questions at God and not man. This was probably the most human thing that Jesus ever said. Then last week in week five, we looked at the fifth thing that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And what he said was two simple words. He said, I thirst. I thirst. In this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to acknowledge in that moment that he needed help. And in this statement, we see that if Jesus, the Son of God, realized and admitted that he needed help, it allows us to know that there's none of us so self-sufficient. There's none of us sitting here today that we can go through life without ever needing help. We're not strong enough to make it through a bad day. We're not strong enough to make it through a bad season without asking for help. Today, we want to look at the sixth thing that he said. And it's found in John chapter 19, verse 30. This is immediately after what we read last week when Jesus said, I thirst. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, most of us would think these were the last words that Jesus said on the cross, but we'll find out next week that they actually weren't. But in this moment, when Jesus says it is finished, what he is saying is, I know I'm still here. I know that I'm still hurting. I know that I'm still in pain. But in my heart, I know that it's finished. In my heart, I know that God is doing something. I know what it looks like now. I know that to me and everyone around this cross, that it doesn't look good. But this is not how it's going to turn out. He said, it's finished. 
And the words that we can live by in that statement are that we can be assured that there is a purpose and an end. There is a purpose and an end. You may have walked in here today with all kinds of questions. And of course, our prayer is is that you leave here with your questions answered. But the reality is, is that you may have walked in here with questions and that you may leave here today with no answers and no solutions. But if you leave here without answers or without solutions, there's something that I know that you can leave here today with. You can leave here with assurance. You can leave here knowing that everything that you suffer has a purpose and that everything that you're going through is coming to an end soon. You can leave here knowing that there's a better finish. There's a story that illustrates this very well. It's found in the Old Testament, in the book of Job. Job was a devout man. Job was a man who feared God. And Job's going through life, everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, he has a very, 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 very bad day. He lost everything. His house, his kids, his livestock, his health. As a matter of fact, it says that he lost everything except his wife. There seems to be a reason for that too. I can just hear the demon saying, hey, hey, there's his wife. Should we go ahead and take her out too? And they're saying, no, leave her. She'll be more trouble if she stays here. I mean, she must have been a piece of work. Uh, I'm not making that up. I mean, one of the very few statements that she makes in the Scripture. Job, is, he has boils and sores all over him. He's sitting in the middle of an ash pile. He's actually scraping his skin with a piece of clay pottery. And she walks in, and you think that she would have some compassion. But one of the very few things, what she said in, in the Word, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? She was something else. And what happens in this story is, is, is that you can read about it, but in a poetic way, from this story, there's, there's two things. There's complaining and there's questioning God. And you can pretty much sum all of that up in one verse found in Job chapter 30, verse 20. It says, I call to you, O God, but you never answer, which I pray you pay no attention. How many people have had days like that? Days that, that you feel like that, that you're praying to God, but he's not answering. Days that, that you feel like that you could be a better God than God is being right now. And in this statement, there's some exaggeration because Job says that you never, and that's not true. For 36 chapters in the book of Job, he's complaining, he's questioning, and it goes on and on and on. And then finally in chapter 38, God finally says, okay, enough of your complaining. And then if Job, God answers Job in chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, 
and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have an understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? He's saying, Job, you're speaking about something that you do not know the finish. In verse 18, it continues. God says, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? God's being a smart aleck. Declare if you know all of this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? That you may take it to its territory and that, that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, weren't you? And the numbers of your days is great. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to ask you some questions. Since you're so smart and you keep questioning me, answer these questions. And he becomes sarcastic. And, and so finally, Job answers him in chapter 40. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am small account. What shall I answer you? In other words, Job's saying, My bad, God. He said, I'll lay my hand on my mouth. You ever had to do that? Just put your hand over your mouth. He's teaching us something that we need to know in this moment. And you know what you need to know? I need to know, and you need to know, that we don't know. We have to know that God is working something out. Even when we don't see it. And even when we don't feel it. We have to know that God is working and that there is a finish line. In chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And in those five verses, Job is giving us three attributes of God, three foundations of Christianity, three foundations of, of theology, three things that, that we need to know when we're going through a bad day. First, he said, I know that you can do all things. He said, things that are too wonderful for me. Things that are too wonderful for me to know. And can I tell you that, that we need to be grateful that we don't know everything. Because if all of God can fit into to, to this brain, then the question would be asked, is he really that big of a God? And then Job said, now my eyes have seen you. He's letting us know that God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. All power lies in his hands. And when you think of that, you might say, well, well that's the problem. If he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he do something for me? If he can take care of this, then why isn't he? But we don't know why. We don't know when. And we don't know how. But there's something that we need to know.
And it's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And it says, for absolute, for everything, absolutely everything, everything's got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. He says he's holding it together more than you can ever realize. In this series, I've shared with you stories of how God has come into situations in my life. And I hope it's made you think about the times that that God has, has come into situations in your life. And when he has shown that he's holding everything together. And some people think that that we're crazy for having hope in God. Some people will ridicule ridicule you and and chastise you for saying that, that you have hope in God. But I can tell you without any hesitation this morning that I'd rather have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. Our hope is built on nothing less than Him. Secondly, He's allowing us to know that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. In other words, God knows everything. God knows the beginning to the end. But the problem is, is that when we're walking through life, we're in the middle. And being in the middle, we don't know the end. But he's all-knowing. He knows the end. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, He knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from Him. He knows it all. There are things that happen in our life that we just don't get. There's things that happen in our life that we just don't understand. As you're sitting here today, you can probably have things that have taken place in your life that absolutely make zero sense. I know I do. But in my life, I've come to the conclusion, it's only by the grace of God, because it's hard to to get to this point. But I've come to the conclusion that God knows the beginning from the end. And that I don't have a right to question things that I do not know. And in that I've learned to never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. He knows. I'm glad there's things that I don't know. As I get older, I'm more secure in the things that I don't know than in the things that I do know. I'm so glad that his thoughts and his ways are higher than my thoughts and my ways. He's all-knowing. Then Job finishes by saying, I had heard about you with my ears. In other words, I had heard about you. I had this distant relationship. But he said, now... I've seen you with my own eyes. 
Now I have this up close and this personal relationship like I've never had before. I understand that you're always there. The third thing is God is ever present. He's omnipresent. No matter where you go, God is there. And that's probably the most comforting theology that you need to understand and realize when you're in the middle of a bad day, in the middle of a bad season. When Jesus was hanging on that cross and he uttered the words, it is finished. He was saying, there's both a purpose to my death. And he also knew that ultimately he would be back with his father. He said, it is finished. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and content with what you have. Focus on this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's why that, that when we're going through things, even when we don't have the answers, that we can have a comfort, we can have a peace that, that we can't understand, that we can't comprehend, that we can't describe. But I can tell you that the peace of God is real. The Bible tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted. And I want to give you some things that, that when you're feeling that way, when you're feeling brokenhearted, I want to give you some verses that I believe will help you in the middle of a bad day. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. says to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Almoth, a song. And then he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 8. If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And then in verse 5, he continues, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. In verse 19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are scriptures that you can stand on. Those are scriptures that, that when you're walking through it, when you're in the middle of a bad day or a bad season, those are scriptures that, that you can reference and know that God says, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm ever present. And when, when I know that God is with me, I can face what is against me. If I know that God is with me, I can face whatever it is that's coming against me. And you need to leave here today. If you don't leave here with answers, you need to leave here with assurance. You need to leave here knowing God. 
You need to leave here saying, I I don't get it, but I know he's all-knowing. I I don't understand it, but I know he's all-powerful. It makes no sense, but I know he's always there. Fanny Crosby was a a, a lady that that wrote over 8,000 hymns. And what was interesting about her life was, was that she lived to be 95. But all of, but six weeks of that, she was blind. When she was born, she could see. But, but doctors and technology and, and medicine weren't very well advanced. And, and she had an issue with her eyes. She could see, but she had an issue. And so the doctor did something to her, put something in her eyes that he thought would help. But instead, it caused her to go blind. So for 94 and a half years of her life, she, she suffered for almost 95 years of her life. But despite of all of that, she wrote one of the greatest hymns ever written. It's called Blessed Assurance. You've heard it. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. In that song, she confidently proclaimed that God has got me. No matter what I'm going through, what happened to me isn't fair. What happened to me makes no sense, but I am assured that he's got me. And I want you to leave here today with some things that you know for sure. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, Which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus was proclaiming, he's got me. And there's four things that I want you to leave here today that you can be assured of. There's four things that you need to be able to repeat to yourself in the middle of a bad day, in the middle of a bad season. Because all conventional wisdom will will make you believe or try to get you to believe something opposite of what the truth is. The first thing is, is you can be assured and you can know that God loves me. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. Jesus gave up his life for us. The Bible says greater love has no man than he laid down his life. He died so that you and I wouldn't have to pay for our sins. That's love. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, he also wrote the book of Lamentations. This is a a whole book in the Bible that's basically dedicated to just whining and complaining. And as he's going through this, in chapter 3, he says, I remember my bitterness. I remember my suffering. But then he writes this in chapter verse 21 through 23 but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness so in the middle of his whining in the middle of his complaining he comes to this revelation he kept whining and complaining after it But here for this moment, he says, I have to remember that when I'm going through a tough time, I have to remember that God loves me. Secondly, we have to know 
I want you to be able to say to yourself, I know that God wants what's best for me. Some of you, maybe it's because of how you were raised. Maybe it's because of just some bad theology. But a lot of people don't have the right picture of God. A lot of people see God as a, as a mean God, as an angry God. And they fail to see that, that, that God isn't mean, that God is a, a loving God, and that He wants what's best for us. Paul wrote in Romans in chapter 8, he said, If God is for us, who can be against us? Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. This is the way that you need to view God. The way that you view God will determine your relationship with Him. And the moment that you come to realize that he's for you, that he's fighting for you, that he wants what's best for you, that he's a good God, not a mean God or an angry God. The moment that you can do that, the moment you can say, I know that he loves me. I know that he wants what's best for me because he does. The third thing we have to know is this, whatever you're going through, you have to be able to say, I know that God has a plan for me. I know that God has a plan for me. I know that God is at work in ways I can't see. I know I can't see the end. And it looks like that I'm just going around in circles, but he has a plan for me. Uh, in this series, I've shared a, a couple of personal stories. Uh, things of what I call life-changing moments. And I believe that, that we all have things that, that happen in our life and, and we come to this point and when this, this thing happens to us, we have to make a decision. Are we going to go this way or are we going to go that way? They're life-changing events. And I can tell you that, that I wouldn't be standing here on this stage if it weren't for several events that have taken place in my life. And the very first of which... Was, was probably the first life-changing moment in my life. I was a, a junior in high school. I knew that, that God had called me into ministry. I also knew that I didn't like what God had called me into. I wanted no part of that. My, my mother was a pastor, and I grew up in a pastor's home. And, and just to be honest, I'd seen enough mean Christians that the thought of spending my, the rest of my life dealing with mean Christians wasn't very appealing. That's why God sent me here, because we don't have any. Was that a nervous laugh? Uh. I was working a job. I was, I was playing high school baseball. I was, I was studying computers, and, 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 but I knew that God had called me into ministry. There was a night that I, I was working at Sears in the hardware and paint department. I know you find that hard to believe. It's where I got all my skills. 
That's not a good advertisement for Sears. It's probably why they're out of business. But I got off at nine o'clock and, and our church was, was having a, a late night prayer meeting. Boy, I was just fired up about that. I was tired. I'd been in school. But out of obligation, I went. That's why I went. It was obligation because I knew if I didn't come, that I was going to hear about it. And rightfully so. So I came and drove about 15 minutes to this small country church that my mom was pastor of. And, and I came in and, and I couldn't have been there more than 10 or 15 minutes. And probably I was asleep for about nine of those. Just laying there on the altar. Something happened and I woke up and I said, well, I got to go. I'd done my duty. I hoped I'd done enough just not to hear about it. So I left, and on my way home, I had a terrible accident. I, I rolled my car over an embankment. I came to rest right beside a, a telephone pole that if I would have hit that pole, it would have split my car in half. The car came to rest on its top. The windows of the car were, were broken out. Glass was everywhere. This was before the days that seatbelts were a requirement. So I wasn't wearing one. And so there I am, over a hill, nobody around, basically hanging upside down. And I climbed out of that car. And, and I know that people hear stories like this and they say, oh, that was just a coincidence. Oh, God doesn't work that way. There's nothing that you can say, nothing that you could do, nothing, no way that you could ever convince me that it was just a coincidence because I lived it. I got out of my car. I'll never forget. Is anybody old enough to, anybody remember Mylon Lefevre and Broken Heart? Come on, nobody? Thank you, thank you, sister. Great music. Gospel. I'll never remember that's what was playing. And it was still playing because the car hadn't been shut off. And I climbed out of my car. And when I climbed out, I took a step like this and I looked down. It was dark. And the only thing I could see was my Bible. I bent over and picked it up. And when I picked it up, Glass just began to fall out of it. There was glass everywhere in that Bible. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, it's time to stop running. I've got a plan for your life. The cops came and, and they couldn't believe that I walked out of this car. As a matter of fact, you know, here I am shaken up and, and this cop comes and, 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 and the first thing he does is like he gets this close to my face talking to me. I'm thinking, dude, eat a breath mint. Just rolled my car, got glass everywhere. He started asking me questions. Later, he would tell me after he realized that, uh, that I was okay, not physically, physically and mentally. He said, the reason that I, I got up in your face like that was because I wanted to, I wanted to know and, and see if I smelled alcohol because I've been a cop a long time and, and, and people who... Come, who have that kind of accident, 
they don't usually walk out unless they're intoxicated. And I begin to share with him. I told him about my mom being a pastor. And so they went and contacted my parents. And my parents drove from that little country church in Pax, West Virginia. And my mom got out of the car, and I'll never remember, I'll never forget it. She was crying. My mom was a crier. She could cry just like that. And she's crying, and, and when I see her, the first thing that came out of my mouth wasn't, I'm sorry, or the car's messed up, or, or what am I going to do, or the first thing that, or I'm okay, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm not going to run from God's plan in my life any longer. And when I said that, she started crying even harder. And she could barely get it out. But she said, when you left that church tonight, and I'll never forget it, she was in the back corner on the stage, just like she would have been right there. She said, when you left that church tonight, she could see right through me. She knew that I was there just out of obligation. She knew that I slept for 10 minutes of the 15 minutes I was there. She said, when you left, I prayed. And I asked God to stop you from running no matter what it took. God's got a plan for your life. And I'm telling you that to tell you this. God doesn't just only have a plan for my life. That's not what it says. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for the welfare and not for evil. To give you future and a hope. That wasn't just written for Jeremiah. It wasn't just written for me. It was written for each and every one of us. I know the plans. When you were in your mother's womb, I had a plan for you. I know that God has a plan. It may not have felt like it when I was hanging upside down in that car. But in that moment, God made it real and said, I've got a plan for you. And can I just throw this in there? If he's got a plan for you and you're running from it, it don't end up too well. I still had to pay for that car that I totaled. It don't end up too well. Ask Jonah. You run from God? You run from his plan? He's going to catch you. The choice is yours. I had plenty of chances. I didn't have to come to that. But it did. The last thing you need to know, I'm trying to hurry. I know that God will bring me through. I know that God will bring me through. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes this. It says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul understood. 
Paul understood so much that, that he wrote when he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, Paul was saying that no matter what comes my way, no matter what happens, God has me. God's got it. God's gonna bring me through. You need to be able to say that, that my struggles have a purpose and my pain has an end. <coughs> Jesus said it this way, it is finished. It is finished. Some of you are sitting here today and, and you're far from God. You're sitting here today and, and you're running from him. And in this moment, I'm not asking you to, to join Gateway Church. I'm not asking you to, to join this church. What I'm asking you to do is to give your life to Him. What I'm asking you to do is to surrender your life to the only one that can help you get through a bad day or bad season. I'm thankful for counselors and I'm thankful for medicine and, and I believe that they play a role when we're going through a bad day to help us. You'll never hear me preach against it. But I also know that there's a God there's a God that wants to help you get through your day and He's greater than any other thing that you could ever experience. If you're here today and you're far from God, if you're here today and, and every day that you get up, you, you feel this weight, this, this weight of, of your sin and, and this weight of, of running from God and, and not doing what you know that you should be doing. You're sitting here right now and, and you, you, you may have even said, God, I'm following you, but you're, you're not truly following after him. Can I tell you that you're only one simple, heartfelt prayer away from all of that changing just like that? The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he will save you. You'll be able to, to, to say all of these things that I've been talking about today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to make you come down front. We've had a time of prayer around during worship. I'm not going to make you come down front, mainly because this starts with a, a very private decision between you and God. It's not a decision that, that I can make for you. It's not a decision that the person sitting beside you can make for you, that your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle or your grandma or your best friend, they can't make this decision for you. Your life group leader can't make this decision for you. It's a private decision between you and God. But you need to, to let God know that you know he's Lord. And that you need to confess and that you need to acknowledge. You need to say, God, I'm making this decision today. If you're sitting here today and you know that's you, 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to be able to believe with you. I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. God, that's me. Thank you. God, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. God, that's me. Thank you. God loves you. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to, to, to pray this prayer with me. You can, you can say it in your heart. You can whisper it. You can say it out loud. If you want to, you can come to this altar. Any way works as long as you believe it. One simple heartfelt prayer can change your life. So pray this with me. Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for doing what you did on the cross. I surrender my life to you today completely. I give you everything. Forgive me. Save me. Come live inside of me. Change me from the inside out. And give me the strength and the power to live for you. Father, today I give you my life. Father, today I give you everything. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. For every person that prayed that prayer today, I want you to know that, that the Bible tells us that there's angels that are rejoicing. God is for you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Stand on His promise. Stand on His word. And if you made that decision today, we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to close in the course. So you can go ahead and stand. We're going to close in the course, but if you've made that decision, I want to make you aware while we're singing this song, while we're declaring His blessed assurance, uh, there's a QR code on the back of the pew in front of you. You can take your camera. You can scan that code. It's not going to pull up a, a menu for your restaurant, although I've went long today and you're probably all hungry. If you're really hungry, chicken and dumplings at Pappy's. So glad to have Carl and Denise and Brenda with us. And um, I thought I'd get that shameless plug in there for them. Back to the QR codes. You can scan that with your camera. It'll take you to the Gateway Church lobby. In there, you can give prayer requests. You can, you, you can give financially. You can, uh, if you're a guest, you can let us know that you're a guest. If you're uh, a regular, please check in so that we know that you are here. But there's a thing on there that says connection card. You can click that, and when you go, it'll just ask you, what did God do for you today? And it's just check boxes. You don't even have to type. Just click. 
And there's things on there like I, I gave my life to Christ, I rededicated my life, all of these things. But I'm going to ask that, that you do that because the Bible says that we're overcomers by the word of our testimony. And if God did something in your life, don't keep it inside. I said it was a private decision, and it is. But it says after God's done something in us, then we need to make it public. So please do that with us. So as we close in this course, I'm giving you permission to get your phone out. Some of you don't need permission, but I give it to you anyway. Makes me feel good. But let's declare blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We're going to sing that verse too, so you have more time. Here we go. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, a purchase of God, born of His Spirit, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Come on, sing it out. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you for your assurance. Thank you, Father. We love you. I want to thank you for being here. Once again, if you're a guest, we are so glad that you spent these uh, few moments with us today. Uh, let us know that you were here. Stop by in the lobby. Uh, if you're not a technology kind of person and God did something in your life, just tell somebody. Run me down. Run one of the, the associate pastors down. Uh, I'm going to give them just a moment before we leave to, to uh, Aaron, if you'll get some of those cards. Take a couple of cards, and uh, we're going to hand those out as you leave. And, uh, and, and we've got them counted. We know whether you get them out or not or whether you throw them away or you leave them in your car. Okay, we'll hunt you down. We love you. Have a great, great Sunday, and we will see you hopefully at a life group. Thank you.